This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It can be found on page 983 in your pew Bible. Colossians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Good morning. Hey, my name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Welcome. I am really glad that you are here with us today as we kick off this uh, new study through the book of Colossians. Um, If this is your first time uh, at our church, we love Jesus and want to know Jesus and fail pretty miserably to do that a lot of times. So we just need to keep coming back over and over and over again to the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, uh, which is what we try to do every single week. So if you are up for doing that with us today, um, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's pray and then we'll get into this letter to the Colossians. Uh, Father, I'm, I'm really thankful to be here with my friends this morning. I'm thankful for all the ways that you have been really good and really kind to us um, at, you know, as, as, as we're singing and declaring that you are good, that you are better. Like that, that's, that's true. That's something that is objectively true. No matter what it is that we're feeling, no matter what it is that we've experienced in the last week or in the last hours, you, you are good and you are gracious and kind. Um, and I also confess that um, my heart is really divided and I struggle to believe that and I need your help. I need you to open my eyes. I need you to show me who I am. I need you to show me who you are. Um, and my friends do too. Uh, So, Lord, will you send your spirit? Will you open our eyes? Will you open our hearts to see and know Jesus? I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, my favorite thing when I was a kid was baseball. My favorite thing was going to Coffin Stadium to see the Royals with my grandpa. I still remember the feeling of walking through the parking lot, seeing this massive stadium in front of me, walking through the gates, hearing all the, um, the, the, the sounds, seeing everything, catching that first glimpse of a green field, like through the concrete kind of bleachers, hearing the pop of the baseball in, in the mid. There, there was something that was so deep and magical and joyful about baseball for me as a kid that I just, I loved it. Like if I could go anywhere or do or be anything, it would be, I'm just want to go watch a baseball game and eat a frosty. You know, the frosty is like where they have the wooden sticks that you would eat it with. Like I want to taste the wooden like chocolate in my mouth and just see a baseball field. And the weird thing is, um, I, I went to a game earlier this year with my boys and I was so excited because I was like, this was the best place in the world uh, for me when I was a kid. And like, I cannot wait for them to experience the magic of it. And I walked in, I was like, man, the magic isn't there anymore. Like maybe that's because the Royals are really, really bad. Uh, and there's not much to actually grab you. Um, but I was like, oh, this is, this is different. 
Like, I still love it. I still love going here. But that intense kind of feeling that I was hoping to re-encounter, it just like didn't show up, you know? It was a little faded. It was a little muted. And I was like, oh, things change. Things change in life and the magic kind of goes away. Baseball is a silly example, right? It's a game where people get paid way too much money to throw a ball around. But that feeling, I think, of, oh, this is different than it was. Like the, the whatever you want to call it, um, the magic, the spark, it's just not there. We feel that in our friendships, right? We can look back to different times in our lives where we're like, oh, man, that was just amazing. And it's still fine, but the whatever we had just like isn't there anymore. Uh, we feel that in our families. We feel that in our marriages or in our other romantic relationships. There's, there's, there's like something that we all experience of a fading kind of glory where we want to recapture the thing that we had. And the same is true in our faith, right? In our spiritual life also. Uh, I, I don't care if you've been following Jesus for a little bit of time. I don't care if you're not sure if you're following Jesus or um, not sure of, of where you are right now. There comes a time in our life where we all are wrestling with the, hey, is this all that there really is to life, to God, to church, to understanding where we are? And the crazy thing is we live in a world that is... Um, selling you answers on how to fix whatever that thing is in your life all the time. So we have conferences or books or influencers that say, hey, if you just get this product or if you can just get this idea or if you can just maximize your time or if you can just um, get yourself to this place, then you'll get back to or maybe get to for the first time this feeling of fullness and life and vibrancy that we all kind of sense that we were made for, but none of us can actually figure out how to achieve on our own. And that's not a new problem, right? That's something that we all experience as humans. The church and people have always wrestled with, hey, is this all that there is? Or is there something more that I can or should be doing? The letter to the church in Colossae, the letter of Colossians, the book of Colossians that we are going to go to, was written to a church like that was written to a church that knows Jesus, it's rooted, it's growing in him, and is also struggling to understand what life following Jesus is supposed to look like. Hey, is Jesus everything that we need, really? Or is there something more that we should be looking for? So Colossians is a pretty short letter. It's just a few pages in our Bibles, but it is packed with claims about who Jesus is, the work that he did, the difference that he's made, the way that he has overcome every single spiritual power and authority in the world is instituting a kingdom in and through a people and a church. And it's just packed with what it means to know that Jesus and live a life following him. So today, 
Uh, all I want to do is introduce you to the letter of Colossians. We're going to spend the next few months uh, going through it. Our normal rhythm, kind of bread and butter, butter as a church, is to just go through books of the Bible slowly. Uh, we'll do one-off series every once in a while, um, but I am not smart enough, and Mark is definitely not smart enough to come up with like really... I love Mark is great. Mark is great. You should spend more time with Mark. You should listen to what he has to say. Um, but we just like, we're, like we're not smart enough to come up with cool stuff that will be impactful for you guys. We think that it's here in the Bible. And so we're going to go slowly through this and see, hey, what does it mean for us to know Christ, to be rooted in Christ? What difference does that make for the way that I live? What difference does that make for the way that we live here today? Um, so the point of Colossians if you've read it before, if you go back and read it this afternoon, the thing that you're going to see over and over and over again is the glory and centrality of Jesus Christ in absolutely everything. It's Jesus is not the thing that just gets you into a right relationship with God. Jesus has overcome everything. The same Jesus that you met and saved you is the same Jesus who will grow you, mature you, sustain you, and change you. N.T. Wright summarizes the message of Colossians this way. He says, the church need look, must look nowhere else for forgiveness for the past, for maturity in the present, or for future hope than to Jesus Christ. Everything always in this letter comes back to Jesus. So today I want to tell you just a couple reasons why we're preaching through Colossians, give you a brief overview of the book, uh, talk a little bit about these first couple verses, and then uh, talk a little bit about the way that it, Colossians has uh, impacted my own life. So first of all, why, why are we doing this? The Bible is a really big book. There are a lot of options. Why are we doing Colossians? The reason is, is because we find ourselves in a really interesting and unique spot as a church family. Uh, Mark and I were with a few other pastors and churches earlier this week, uh, and we were just kind of, you know, catching up, talking, praying, and asking, hey, how are things going in your church? Oh, they're fine. How are things going in your church? Um, so when people would come up to me, they're like, hey, how, how are things at Redeemer? And I would be like, oh, man, they're really good. Like, I, overall, I'm so thankful right now. There are things happening that, like, are beautiful. I see people loving each other. I see growth happening. I see people ministering to each other. And the weird thing is, like, I really don't have anything to do with it. Like, I feel like I'm putting in, like, not a lot of effort and seeing, like, crazy results happening. Uh, you know, just like, I'm really thankful for it. At the same time, we got a lot to figure out right? Uh, we are kind of setting off on a new journey as a church. We've been around since 2014, and we've always been connected to um, an, another church in a way that we're not going to be uh, moving forward in the future. So what does it look like for us to be our own independent, local, autonomous congregation? How are we going to structure ourselves? Like, what are we going to do? What are the things that we're going to do? How are we going to live in relationship with each other? How are we going to rebuild things that crumbled over COVID and need strengthening? So we find ourselves in this really interesting moment where I see God moving and working and doing beautiful things I'm really thankful for. And I see things that are just like, that's kind of a mess. We really need to figure that out. In the middle of all of that, Colossians points us back to the centrality of Jesus in everything. So as we experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, as we experience maybe slowly depth coming in our relationships, we got to look to Jesus. 
Jesus is the center of everything. If we get off from that, we're going to be in a bad spot. In all the places where we need to build, if we are not building on the foundation and cornerstone of Jesus, we're going to get off in a bad spot. And if Colossians is right, if the message that we see in it, building on Jesus gives us life and joy and beauty that we cannot achieve uh, on our own. So the first reason is Colossians is going to point us back to the centrality of Jesus over and over and over again. And the second reason is Colossians opens doors for us to experience depth, maturity, and joy in our lives. Following Jesus is not a flattening, boring, dull proposition. Life in Christ, if this is right, is vibrant. It is full of unique expressions of individual like giftings, and it is rooted in a common identity in Jesus. And if we can get that, if we can get the, oh, we, what do we have in common? We belong to Jesus. We are in Christ. And also, we are really different from each other. And we can bring all of those different um, facets of who we are, personality, gifting together in Christ. Like, what could happen if we do that? So Colossians helps us there. It's a little bit of another back to basics, and that's great uh, because there is a danger in every season, and probably maybe uniquely in this season for us, of building on another foundation, of getting out of orbit around the centrality of Jesus, and we want to be rooted in everything that we're doing in Jesus. So that's why Colossians, I think it can uniquely help us in that time. What is this letter, because it is a letter, all about? Uh, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, from prison. We're not exactly sure where. Uh, we're not 100% sure when, probably around AD 62, which means it's 30 years or so after the death of Jesus. And he's writing a letter to a church that he has never visited before. Colossae was a small Roman colony town. So uh, in its past, in its history, it had been a rich, kind of vibrant, flourishing center of trade and economy. But by the time that Paul wrote this letter, uh, it was not big. It was not important. It was not powerful. It was not resourceful. It was kind of just a stop on a trade route that was going to bigger, better, more important places. Think of it this way. Some of you guys are from Western Kansas, uh, and probably most of us have had the experience of driving across I-70 as we're going to somewhere else uh, and seeing all the small little towns kind of along I-70, right? And you can kind of, if you look at them, you can say, oh, there used to be something here, right? There used to be a thriving economy. There used to be art here, but now it's just kind of a bunch of rundown, old buildings and a little gas station that we're going to stop at real quick to get some coffee on our way out to a better place. That was Colossae. It was overlooked. It was unimportant. And it was just really forgettable. And yet, Paul 
wrote this letter to them and said, hey, look at the work of God that is happening in this small, overlooked, unimportant, uneventful place. The kingdom of God is coming here just as much as it's coming in Rome or Ephesus or Chicago or Dallas or any of these other bigger, more important places. The grace of God doesn't discriminate between big places and little places. It meets us everywhere. So that's Colossae. The church was a young kind of church. It was started by a man named Epaphras who met Paul somewhere at some point in his journey. Uh, And Paul writes to them and starts by complimenting them. Like if you look down your Bibles at Colossians 1 verse 3, he starts by saying, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So he's pointing out two things that kind of mark the culture of this church. They believe deeply in Jesus. They've received him. They are rooted in him. But that's not all. Uh, we all probably have experienced or seen churches that have really tight doctrine uh, and a really cold culture. This wasn't that. They loved each other genuinely. They were affectionate towards each other. They met each other's needs, and they were devoted towards one another. So he said, hey, this is who you are. This is how I see the grace of God working in you. And so let me, right off the bat, point you to Jesus. He turns his attention in the rest of chapter one to show them Jesus. Jesus is the one who rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into light. In their day, uh, people 2,000 years ago did not think like us. Um, The church in Colossae lived, yeah, in a small and important town, but they lived surrounded by other gods and spiritual powers and authorities that looked way stronger and way more impressive than anything that Jesus, a crucified Jewish carpenter, had to offer. And yet, Paul says, hey, but look at this Jesus. This Jesus has overcome every other dark power and pretender. This Jesus has brought us out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That's chapter one, verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He's the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. He's above everything. He's holding everything together. He's above any throne, dominion, ruler, or authority. Paul is a the universal victory and rule of Jesus in every single place. It's almost like he's saying, hey, whatever you experience, whether you're growing or whether you are struggling, look at and hold fast to this Jesus. Why is he saying that? Well, chapter two shows that that there seems to be some kind of idea that is making its way into the church that Paul is concerned is going to take them away from uh, faithfulness and fidelity to Jesus. People aren't exactly sure what that um, idea was. Some people say it's a proto-incipient Gnosticism, which I'm not sure what that means, so I'm not going to spend time trying to explain it to you. Um, I don't think it actually matters all that much what this idea was. The point is that there is always something that is going to be competing for your time, your attention, and your trust. So there, 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 there are um, marks of what this idea or thing or movement uh, in this church 
was, and there were people that were offering a kind of access to a deeper spirituality. Uh, They were saying, hey, I know you've received Jesus, and now let me tell you how you really access the good stuff. Like, this is how you level up, go to the next level. When you do that, it's going to give you more freedom. It's going to give you a more intense expression of faith. Dick Lucas, who wrote a book on Colossians, listed out um, some of the marks of what people were saying. There, there was a promise of fullness. Hey, do you feel empty? Do you feel like you don't have much going on inside of you? Well, if you just get this thing, then you'll experience the kind of fullness and the kind of life that you are looking for. There, there was a promise of freedom. We all feel kind of like constraints on us. We all feel like we're not exactly able to do what, what it is that we're supposed to do. And there's always someone coming along saying, hey, if you just do this, this is the way that you really experience freedom in your life. There was a promise of unique power and spiritual authority. And remember, Um, they live in a world where spiritual conflict is a very, very real reality that they're facing every day. How do you overcome dark forces that are trying to overcome you? Well, these people would say, all you have to do is memorize this or get this, and then you're going to be okay. The problem is, Paul is looking at all that and saying, hey, they're they're pointing towards something that we're all experiencing, but there's no power in what they're offering to actually do anything about it. This has an appearance of helpfulness, but all it can do is make you into a more prideful, empty person. What do you do? You look at Jesus. Why? Because all of the fullness of God is in Jesus. Freedom from sin is in Jesus. Freedom to be who you were made to be is in Jesus. How do you find spiritual authority? Well, it's in the one who's overcome every other spiritual power in the world, Jesus. You don't need something else. What you need is Jesus, N.T. Wright, again, says that in all of his teaching, whatever kind of false teaching or ideas the church was facing, Paul is emphasizing that the way to maturity for the people of God does not lie in unlocking some hidden spiritual key, but rather in their drawing out and applying to personal and communal life the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the rest of the letter, chapters three and four, show us what that application looks like. It looks like realizing no matter what, that your life and our life is hidden in Christ. That no matter what happens, if you belong to him, he will not let go of you. No matter what happens, the most essential part of who you are is protected and alive and hidden in him. And that grace, that reality, does not just meet us as individuals. It puts us in a family. All throughout this letter, Paul is going to talk about the relationships that exist in the church as the family of God. It places us in a family that is marked by love, the welcome of Jesus, and that has implications for the ways that we live with each other. 
So Paul is going to get into nitty gritty details and say, hey, this message of Christ's um, rule over everything, his kingdom of light that's breaking in, is not just some abstract thing that has implications for you when you die and you get to go to heaven. It actually changes the way that you are a man. It changes the way that you're a husband. It changes the way that you love your family. It changes the way that you lay down your rights for each other. It changes the way that you handle conflict. It changes the way that you are a woman, a wife, a friend. Like the, the grace of Jesus changes absolutely everything in the ways that we relate to each other. It sets us on a level, equal playing field before the cross. And it tells us, hey, if our fundamental identity is as a forgiven child of God, like if that's who you are, then that means that you can forgive people. It means you can handle conflict. It means that you can move towards a rich, flourishing community that is marked by grace and peace from beginning to end. So the message, the overall message of Colossians is, hey, look at Jesus. Jesus has all authority. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is not far off. He is close to you. You belong to him. You are in him. And that will change absolutely everything. So with that in mind, let's uh, jump into the first two verses just really quickly. This is uh, the introduction to all of Colossians. When we write an email or if, we, if you still write a letter, you know, you'll start off by saying dear so-and-so, you know, comma, this is the dear so-and-so. Uh, we, we see at the very beginning that this letter is from Paul. Uh, who is Paul? Paul was a Jewish man who lived at the time of Jesus. Uh, his family was from Tarsus which is not in Israel. Um, it's up further in um, kind of modern day Turkey area, which means that Paul's family at some point was taken, removed from their homeland, probably forcibly because there were a lot of empires that came through and scattered people around from Israel uh, and relocated to uh, exile to live in uh, the city called Tarsus. Paul was passionate about knowing God. He was accomplished, he was smart, and he knew, he just knew that he knew that he knew what God was like and how to follow him. And he was so intense about it that he was willing to use violence to stop people who disagreed with him. So you see in the book of Acts, Paul, he says, hey man, I was zealous for the faith of my father. I was zealous to see the Old Testament followed. And so he would... Um, persecute, kill, throw into prison anyone who claimed the name of Jesus because he thought they were a threat. They were giving you a wrong picture of who Jesus is. And yet his life, as we can see here, was radically changed so that he identifies himself now not as an opposer of Jesus, but an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. What does it mean to be an apostle? Uh, an apostle really basically just means um, a messenger. Uh, and in the context of the early church in this letter, Paul's making a claim to authority. He's saying, hey, I am not just writing to you as someone uh, with some good ideas who has read a lot. Uh, I am writing to you by the will of God as an apostle an authoritative messenger of Jesus Christ, which means that we have to take what he has to say seriously. 
if that's right, then this is not just a word from some ancient thinker. This is a word from God and ought to be taken seriously. So Paul writes with his assistant, Timothy, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Uh, I know a lot of us uh, maybe have a Roman Catholic background or uh, just kind of a you know, cultural understanding of a saint. When we, when we say, oh man, that person is a saint, we just mean that's, that's a really good person. That person has done amazing things. They're kind, they're loving, they're long-suffering. They are a saint. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's not, what, uh, that's not how the Bible uses the word saint. Uh, to be a saint just means, hey, you are a called out person of God. In fact, it's never uh, singular. Saint is always plural in the New Testament. So it is the saints. It is the people that God has called to himself, made his own, plucked out of wherever they are, brought to himself and given a new identity in him. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm writing to you who are saints. You don't have to achieve anything. Jesus has already done all the work. He has called you to himself. You belong to him. What else, how else does he describe them? Faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That word, brothers, your Bible might have a, a little footnote in it um, that points down to a footnote uh, at, the, at the bottom of the page. The best way to translate that word is um, it's, it's a family word. Uh, it's brothers and sisters. It's, it's, the fam- it's the family of God. So he's writing to the people who belong to God who are faith, a faithful family in Christ at Colossae. So think about that. That Paul is giving us here um, who the church is. What is the church? Who is the church? Well, the church is the called out people of God. We didn't make ourselves a saint. We are dependent upon Jesus, and he has placed us into a family. The church is not primarily a nonprofit or an organization or a membership society. The church is a spiritual family. So when Jesus takes you, saves you, brings you to himself, um, he doesn't just like connect you with God. He connects you to a people, which means that there are bonds in this room that are really real as real as the same kind of family bonds that we experience uh, in our own biological families. And that changes the way that we relate to each other, right? Families aren't ideal. Like, you don't have idyllic, like, no-conflict family gatherings very often. Families are clunky. Families are kind of crazy. Some of us maybe don't even talk to our families anymore. And yet, there is a kind of bond there that you have with your family that you can't just break. So Paul is saying, look, you are a family. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. You are the family of Jesus, which means that we have certain obligations to each other. We don't treat each other as like um, just coworkers. Like we, 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 have, we have a deeper obligation if we're in Christ to one another to love each other the way that we love brothers and sisters, to honor each other, to try to handle conflict the way that families should. Not every family handles conflict well. They handle conflict the way that families should handle conflict. So this church is the called out people of God connected to the family that 
Jesus is creating. Where is this family? This family is in Christ at Colossae. And I love that. It's, it's a little phrase. In Christ at Colossae. Because in that little phrase, you have in a universal and a particular identity. What does that mean? Um, every single person who is called out by God, who encounters Jesus Christ. Who are you? Most fundamentally, you are someone who belongs to Jesus. You are in Christ, the Son of God, the one who spoke everything into existence and is holding everything together. You belong to him. That's a universal identity that the church has shared in all times, in all places. If you go to any other church, if you go to any other part of the world and you meet a Christian, what do you have in common? You're in Christ. You belong to him. He's changed you. He's made you his own. And yet, that identity is not just some flat, oh, we're just all the same and we have to act exactly the same because this family in Christ is at Colossae which means that it has a local, particular identity and way of doing things and way of celebrating the world and way of relating to each other. And it's made up of individuals who are different, who are unique. Do you see how in Jesus you have the thing that unites us all and also frees us to be who we are? Like, we, we, we don't have... Um, I can't think of other things like that in, in the world where we can say we have this thing deeply in common and yet in Christ, he gives me my own unique particular identity that should be stewarded and worked out in the world around me. So who are we? We are people who are in Christ at Lenexa or Olathe or Kansas City or wherever it is that you are coming from. We belong to him and we belong to a particular place. So that's the people that he is writing to. And this letter is going to be a word of grace from beginning to end. In fact, if you turn over to the end of Colossians, just on, should be, should be the next page in your Bible. Paul begins the letter by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he ends it by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So you see grace bookend in the entire letter. What is grace? Uh, grace is a, it's gift. It's, it's gift language. It's you've been given something that you didn't earn. It's you have been brought into the family of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just, hey, God has forgiven you and is not going to uh, make you pay for the things that you did. The gospel of Jesus is that like, yeah, you've received mercy. You don't have to pay for the things that you did. And also look at everything else that he's given you. He's given you himself. Like you, you get to know God. You get to approach him. You get to be part of his family. You get to have him. It's also a word of peace, which that word peace um, in the Bible doesn't just mean like a Saturday afternoon where you don't have anything going on and there's no conflict and you just get to rest a little bit. Uh, peace is way more holistic than that in the Bible. 
it points to not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of things the way that they're supposed to be, right? So flourishing and wholeness and fullness, all the things that we kind of sense like, man, I feel like there's something more that I should be doing or getting or experiencing. That's the shalom, Old Testament word, kind of peace that we were made for. And Paul is saying, hey, all of that is yours right now in Jesus. Are you looking for grace? It comes to you through Jesus from the Father. Are you looking for peace in your life? It is yours right now. Imperfectly, yeah, but you have it right now in Jesus. From first to last, grace is everywhere inside of this letter. So let me, um, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, the so what of all of that. What difference, what difference does that make? Um, I think that, I don't know if there's been a more impactful book of the Bible in my own life uh, than the book of Colossians. In 2011, I grew up in Kansas City. Uh, in 2011, I moved up to Chicago to go to seminary. And I was like young and energetic and super hopeful. And I'd always done really well, no matter where I was. Um, I was great in college. I had some really deep friendships. Um, and I, th- I, I, like, I thought I was pretty great. Um, and moving to Chicago was awful. Like, it was dark, man. Not just like physically, but it, it gets dark there really, really early also. Um, but I went up there and all of the ways that I had achieved in the past, just like wasn't happening. I'd always been really good at school. I'd always been like the one that people came to uh, to get help. Like, hey, can you help me on this? And I was like failing tests left and right up there. I just couldn't get it. Um, and that might sound like a small thing to you. It's like, so what? You, you fail the test. I didn't do that. Like, Andrew Brantley did not fail. And then all of a sudden, Andrew Brantley is failing all over the place. Like, what does that mean? Um, who am I? And at the same time, uh, I am wrestling with areas in my life where I just, I, I thought, like, I'm a good friend. You know, you know like, when you ever think that uh, to yourself, like, man, I'm a really good friend. I did really well there. I thought that pretty consistently uh, through college. And then I, I, I moved to Chicago and I realized like, oh, I'm a really bad friend. Like I, I use people to get things from them. And yeah, I like them and I care for them, um, but I've like hurt people and I'm really selfish and I've acted really selfishly. And so those things just like combined and crashed together where I literally like, I had no idea who I was. I was like, I do not know who I am. I do not know why I'm here. I do not know why I'm valuable. I do not know why God would love me or why anyone else would love me. Maybe you guys have experienced something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe that sounds really foreign. Um, it was during that time uh, when you're in seminary, you have to learn Greek and translate stuff. So I was translating Colossians. Um, which means that like, I just had to go really, really slow through all of it. And so I'm just feeling like trash about myself. Um, and I keep seeing over and over again, well, look at who Jesus is. Like he's the one that has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Like, bro, you didn't, you don't get to be valuable to Jesus because you were good in school and were able to achieve things. 
Like Jesus has qualified you to share in that inheritance. And look at who this Jesus is. He's the one who took you, who was once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Yeah, dude, you hurt people and you did not treat them well. But Jesus had made peace and he's reconciled to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. You who once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so I get over to chapter three and some of that's building. I'm like, there's something, there's something here. And then chapter three, like I just, I remember one night I was reading, if then you have been raised with Christ. And by the way, you have been. If you belong to Jesus, you have been. And seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life? What's your hope in life? It's, it's Christ. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And there was something that clicked in that where I, I, I realized, oh, um, all of the worst things I think about myself can be true, are true, and yet I am deeply loved by God and held by him in a way that is unbreakable. Like, do you see how that is um, an actual lasting identity that doesn't have to get shaken when you fail the thing or you lose the relationship or you lose the job or whatever. In Christ is forever and it's always. And we'll talk about this more later, but I realized, oh, I can actually be myself in Christ. Like Jesus sees me, knows me, loves me deeply, made me the way that I am. And I don't actually have to prove anything to anyone. So when I do fail, cool. Like Jesus loves me and I am still Andrew Brantley hidden in Christ, in God, which means that I can fail. I can try to love people. I can try to have relationships with people where I don't need to get anything from them. Cause like I have everything that I need in Jesus. So I can actually love you for who you are and not try to have to prove or posture or do anything to get your favor. I am hidden with Jesus. Um, and I hope we get that. Uh, I'm still 10 years later, you know, trying to, uh, work out exactly what that means, uh, in my life. Like all the times when I fail again and I need to be like, okay, um, no matter what happens here, I belong to Jesus. He is mine and I am his and he's bringing his kingdom. And the way, by the way, that he's bringing his kingdom isn't by um, building it on your efforts, right? We live in a world that is full of great ideas about how to fix things and how to um, make things right again. And most of those ideas involve, hey, let's just get the strongest person in there. Let's make someone pay for the bad things that have been done. Only Jesus is the one who says, no, I'll actually pay for everything that's been done. How does Jesus bring his kingdom? It's not by just smashing his enemies and making everyone pay for it. He does it by giving himself, 
by dying on a cross, by taking responsibility for the things that have been done and left undone. And the good news of the gospel is that's actually the kingdom that's lasting. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is better and stronger and permanent and growing and active and right here and for you. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ isn't just for the important people over there. It is for anyone who says, oh, I need him. So what I want you to do today, I just want you to look at Jesus. Take a hold of Jesus. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're feeling amazing. I don't know if you're feeling tired. I don't know if you're feeling guilty. I don't know if you're feeling burnt out. Take Jesus. He is the one that every single one of us, no matter where we find ourselves, need. And so we end each service by coming to the Lord's table and taking communion. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus has still, even right now, today, everything that we need. That his cross has overcome all of the powers in the world. His kingdom is eternal, undefeated, and it's secured with his own blood, not the blood of his enemies. And so if you are someone who is placing your faith in Jesus, looking to him for life, fullness, wholeness, salvation, come, and come to this table. The Lord Jesus is inviting you to his family, to his presence, to his table. If you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. Or if you're just not sure uh, what you believe, we're really glad that you're here. We would love to talk with you, to pray with you. We're gonna have ministers uh, off here to the side who would love to pray for whatever is going on in your life. Um, Mark and I, anyone who is in the pews would uh, really genuinely love to talk and pray and wrestle through things uh, with you. So uh, what we're gonna do now is um, move to time of communion. The way we do that here is we'll have three stations up front, one up in the balcony. Uh, We will have two bread, wine, and juice um, down here, one bread, wine, and juice up there, and then a gluten-free single serve off to the side up here. Um, You will just get in line, come down to the front, tear off a piece of the bread, you can dip it into the stoneware, or into the, uh, which is wine, or the glass, which is juice. Uh, and then the servers will remind you this: Jesus' body was broken for you to bring you into His kingdom. His blood was poured out, and speaks a better word than anything that you're facing right now. Um, so I would invite you come take communion, uh, get prayer. Let's end this time by looking to Jesus for absolutely everything that we need and trusting that he'll provide it. So I'm going to pray. uh, And then the servers and uh, Jory can come forward and uh, lead us uh, through the rest of this time. So uh, will you, will you pray with me? God, I'm, um, I am really thankful for all the grace that you always give us. And there is more to you than I know. Uh, There's more to you than any of us know. And so in all the places where we are, um, like a lot of us are just struggling. We, we, We need you and we're looking for you and we have really massive things in our lives. Um, that, that like are not small and insignificant. Um, we, we might feel small and insignificant, but like the things that we're facing aren't. Um, so, uh, Father, we need this to be true. We, we really 
need there to be an inbreaking kingdom that's stronger than the darkness around us, that's stronger than the darkness inside of us. We need your grace. We need your peace. And we believe and confess that you have everything that we need. Uh, So, Father, will you open our eyes and our hearts? Will you help us to press down more deeply into applying the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus in our own lives and in this body? Uh, Will you make us more like you? Um, Because we need you. We need you so deeply, God. Thank you for giving us everything that we need. I pray that you would awaken faith and bring life in this room right now. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.